welcome to Femtech Focus with Dr. Brittany Barreto, exploring the past, present, and future of women's health and wellness. Welcome to the Femtech Focus podcast, where we have meaningful and provocative conversations with femtech experts. These academics, doctors, and innovators tell us about the past, present, and future of women's health and wellness. I'm your host, Dr. Brittany Barreto, and today is a special bonus episode. Femtech Focus's co-founder and medical director, Dr. Julie Hakim, is giving us the 411 on vaginas. I learned so much from this lesson. I could not believe how many things I had misunderstood about my own body. We actually video recorded this episode, which is useful to watch because Dr. Hakeem shows us medical diagrams to point out important features. We're having a live listening party tonight. So if you're listening to this, we dropped it Monday. It's tonight, 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific. Uh, Dr. Hakeem and I will be on live answering questions, making comments while we watch the episode. You can register on our website, femtechfocus.org, to attend. If you can't make it, but you're like, Britt, I want to see the video. What are you talking about? You can go to the resource tab on our website and watch it there as well. Enjoy the episode and get ready to be informed about the female reproductive system like never before. Hey, Julie, welcome to the show, my girl. Brett, super fun. I'm super excited. We are going to do our favorite favorite thing, talking about vaginas. Couldn't be better. But we're going to talk like for real medical facts, details about vaginas. We're we're not just using it because it's a fun word. We're, We're actually in a lesson today. This is a lesson. I, you know, it, it's important, right? And it doesn't have to be heavy. It doesn't have to be deep. But I think for us, for all the other women that are going to be watching and listening, we're going to have to get into some anatomy because mm-hmm. if, you know, if you don't know the anatomy, if you're not comfortable with it, then everything can be confusing and everything can seem right or wrong, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, we're going to learn some stuff today. It's going to hopefully make things a little clearer. Um, and then we can, uh, you know, talk further as much as we get through, we can have a vagina 201, you know, <laughs> next, class, next level. Once you yes, graduate yes. And, you, and you know, what I'm really excited about is that I know I'm going to learn a lot today, right? Like that's one of the cool things about being the leader of Femtech Focus is that on record, I'm learning with the listeners, right? So you're, I'm the student today too. <laughs> Listen, I think you can take a real philosophical approach and you know me, if you're not learning every day, then, you know, what are we really doing here? Awesome. So let's get into it. Let's start learning about vaginas. Totally. So today we're going to talk about debunking some myths and misconceptions. We're going to talk about the anatomy. And so listeners, if you are listening on the podcast, be sure to go to our website, femtechfocus.org. We are going to be sharing our screens and uh julie's actually going to be walking us through some figures and so if you're listening go to our website too to watch the video um so let's kick it off with the anatomy naming the parts the dimensions of the vagina so tell us tell us about the what it actually looks like down there 
Okay. <laughs> okay. So ladies, everybody listening. So yeah, we're going to get into some anatomy. Okay. We have like a little lo-fi um, deck to show you. It's important. You know, we don't have to get too cut up in the details and making it super fancy. It just needs to show you the bits and the relationships of all of the parts. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I'm going to share my screen here and I promise this won't get too heavy. Um, there's one slide on histology. It's important that you know it. Okay. So what's histology? Yeah. You're going to talk, we're going to talk about okay. cells. My, oh. faves. my faves are some cells. Can you guys see this? Yeah, we can see it. All right. Okay. So this is class one. Vagina <laughs> one. <laughs> okay. Let's talk. Let's look at this. So first of all, I want to give kudos to the uh, gentleman who made this video. Okay. This is off of YouTube. I looked at a lot of videos. Anybody who's out there who's in VR world who wants to put together a real VR experience on vaginas with me, like, you know, get in contact. This guy Medviz did a really nice job. Okay. So I just used some of his screenshots and um, this was one of the best that I found out there. So let's get really clear on the parts. Okay. That's the most important. Mm -hmm. So we'll start at the top. We'll work our way down the top part where you see hair. Okay. That's called your mons. So that's really important when we talk about folliculitis or getting waxed or shaved. Sometimes we talk about, well, where is the, um, you know, where is the, the abscess? Where is the lesion? Oh, well, it's on my mons. Okay. So where's oh. the mons? It's right there. Okay. Next, I want to talk about where the labia majora are. So don't forget there are two sets of lips, ladies, for your vulva. Okay. Two sets of lips. The outside is called the majora. The way that you know which one is which Okay, the majora is obviously the bigger lips. They're on the outside. They also are the hair bearing part. Okay, oh. so if somebody's talking about their labia and their waxing or wherever, and obviously it's going to be on the labia majora, which are on the outside. I'm going to talk about the labia minora next. So those are the small lips, um, and those are on the inside. We'll talk about why those are really important when we get into some of the discussions about labioplasties. Now, when you so, say inside, you just mean closer to the center, because right? right? Because I've heard that there's my personally my my menorah labia menorah are are tucked in, but I've heard there's labia menorah that are out. Yeah, and we're gonna talk about why that is and what does that mean okay. and what's normal in terms of the length and why are women and even some girls coming to talk about wanting to have their labia minora reduced yeah. and what you could expect from that and why it may or may not be the right mm. approach. All right. Sorry, professor. I was jumping ahead. No, no, no. That's okay. <laughs> so look at where the labia minora are in relation to the clitoris and the clitoral body. Okay. So mm -hmm. that's why it's going to be important later on that we talk about the labia minora as a mm. sexually responsive part of your body. Because it's kind okay. of connected to it. Right. To the There's sort of the lower part of that clitoral body. Got it. Um, where you see next, right in the center there, that's your urethral opening. So that's where you pee from. Okay. All right. So all part of your vulva. Did, hmm? not, did not know. I honest to God, I did not know where my urethra opening was in comparison to my clitoris. Yeah. Honest right. to God, I didn't well, know. 
Now yeah. I know it goes, everyone who's listening at the top, it's the clitoris and then urethra opening and then the vaginal opening. And then wow. your anus. And then the right? anus. So, There's another hole. Yeah. Right. All the holes have to line up. So when we do our exams, it's important, you know, when we're actually examining somebody, especially for pediatric gynecology, which is where we pick up sometimes that there's anomalies, we are actually looking to make sure that there are those three orify. So mm. orifices where things exit from, um, on your body, right? So urethra, a vagina and an anus. Mm. You can also see why just look how close the relationship is between the vagina and where you pee from, right? That's why it's easy to get a UTI after intercourse. It's mm. easy to get urine that's trapped inside your vagina and become uncomfortable and cause infections. It's all in close proximity. Whoa. So, also, it's really important to know this anatomy because I get a lot of questions from young ladies in clinic who are learning to put in tampons or who are scared to put in tampons. And they have a question of, well, could it get lost? Like, what if I don't know where to put it? Yeah. Where do I put it down there? Um, so we do a whole teaching uh, session with mirrors and everything else in clinic so that you can see there's really nowhere else to put it. Mm -hmm. It can't really get lost. There's mm -hmm. only one area that it can go into. Your urethra, urethra is just not that big. Mm -hmm. And your anus, you would know if it's in your anus. Mm -hmm. So, you know, your vagina is right smack in the middle. So this is the only place the tampon can go. Don't worry. It's not going to get lost. Mm -hmm. That's all I really wanted to talk about on this slide, just to show you the relationship. So questions about any of that? All right. Nope, Professor, I'm okay. good. Yeah. Okay. Okay, let's look at how... so. The reason I want to show you this, and this is a picture of how the vagina kind of lines up on the vulva, right? So the vulva, don't forget, is the whole complex with all the lips and everything else. The vagina is just the tube. Mm -hmm. So that was really important just to get that anatomy clear, right? So the vulva is everything I just showed you with all of those lips, this, that, and the other thing. The vagina is this tube that runs here. Yeah. Now, this is a cartoon, right? But the important thing to look at is some of these rugations. So we're going to talk about the hymen, um, but we're also going to talk about how the vagina is rugated. So rugated is like the best way that I can explain that is don't forget your vagina needs to expand, mm -hmm. right? Don't forget there's a baby's head that's supposed to come out there if, you know, that that's, that's how evolutionarily we were designed, that it is supposed to stretch. Mm -hmm. So these rugations are basically, you could either think of it as um, a king size sheet on a queen bed. So there's folds and like ruffles. Yeah. We think of it like a parachute, how a parachute folds, right? Uh, and then when it stretches, it unfolds. Got it. Those rugations are important for a few reasons, not only because it needs to stretch, um, but they also... Um, primarily to make it stretch, but also to increase the surface area, mm -hmm. right? So a lot of things can get absorbed through the vaginal cavity and it's important to have as much surface area as possible. Got it. Okay. The other thing that I wanted to show you in this was the vagina in this cartoon is actually looks like a smooth muscle, mm -hmm. right? Don't forget the vagina actually does have a muscular component to it. And I'll explain that later and I'll tell you why that's important, but that's also why I want to show you this picture. Interesting. 
I think you had mentioned to me, Britt, at one point, um, somebody had been talking to you about that the vagina is a collapsed tube. And and I had mentioned that too, right, in relation to the stents. And that's really important to note. The vagina in its natural state at rest is not open like this. Okay, these are just cartoons. But because it's a muscle, it's going to be collapsed on itself. Whoa. Um, I want to show you this slide because I want to show you that the vagina actually has different sizes, right? So the top part closer to the bladder and the bottom part, this posterior part closer to the rectum, one is actually longer than the other. And the uterus does actually tilt upwards. Now it can tilt back in some women, but let's just keep it simple. It tilts upwards. Uh Why did I want to show you this? Um, first, I also want to show you these little rugations in here. You can see them, right? Like yeah. it's folded, like a, it's like a sheet that doesn't fit. Okay. You know how your gynecologist is always asking you to scooch down the table? When <laughs> yes. Like, I have scooching forever. Like what is going on here with the scooching? So <laughs> look at this. That's, so the two sides are different lines. Uh-huh. And look how it's positioned in your body, right? So again, this is your vagina right here, this green part. Yeah. This is your uterus up here. Your cervix is here. Your bladder is here. And your rectum is here. Look at this angle. So this is how, you know, it's set up in your pelvis. Now, when you're lying on a table and you're scooching down, it brings the uterus down into where I can then see it with a speculum. Okay. Okay. And for our listeners, it's like a, uh, if you're looking at a woman on the side, it's as if it's going, the vagina is coming from the front of the body, kind of towards the back, like towards her lower back. So it's kind of slanted. Yeah, which is exactly why we tell young ladies when they're putting in tampons, you need to aim for your lower back, right? Aim for oh. your sacred area, right? Because mm-hmm. that's how the vagina is tilted. So that's also why we get you to scooch down the table a million times so that we get everything to slant properly. Huh. Um. The other thing that I wanted to mention in this, and it's maybe easier to see in this picture than anything else with this kind of green highlights, is that the shape of the vagina kind of opens up into, it's wider up here near the cervix and narrower down here where, and then it opens up again at the introitus, this area down here where it opens onto the vulva is called the introitus. So the cervix is up there? hmm? The cervix is up there by the uterus? Yeah, right here. Like the bottom part of your uterus, the only part that, if you look at this picture, the only part of your uterus that can be accessed through your vagina is through your cervix. This is your cervix right here. So your cervix, now this will be important later on when we talk about vaginal steaming and some of the claims that have been made with regards to vaginal steaming. So this cervix, I mean, the cervix was designed to be basically shut until it needs to be open either to allow menstrual contents to flow out, to allow sperm to go up, um, or to allow a baby to come out, mm-hmm. right? At its natural state, the, uter- the cervix and the uterus is not open to the air, to the bacteria oh. that's hanging around in the vagina. Okay. So that's why putting in an IUD is uncomfortable because we have to usually open up the cervix and dilate the cervix. That's why it oh. is fairly, don't get me started on IUDs, but that's why it's fairly uncomfortable. Okay. You don't want your uterus to be exposed to bacteria. Right? People get really, that's why we have to deliver babies early, right? If the uterus gets infected, the baby needs to come out. Oh. 
Um, so it's important that your cervix stays shut. We'll talk okay. about why that's key when we talk about steaming. Um, okay, the other thing that I just wanted to mention quickly is the light bulb shape. So you see how the, the vagina like is a little bit wider here near the cervix yep. and then it narrows down and then kind of opens up again. Mm -hmm. So that's important for all the people making stents. It's shaped like a light bulb. Okay. It's wider at the top. That's why the menstrual cup is a menstrual cup, right? Because it's supposed to kind of hug right oh. underneath the cervix and it's wider up here. So when you place it up high enough, it does actually fit perfectly right in the fornices around fornices are basically pockets, right? Pockets of the vagina right around the okay. cervix. Okay. Moving on. I promise this part is almost done. All right. I wanted to show you this. This is the only histology slide. We're not going to get too complicated in here. Basically what I want to show you here is that there's a muscle layer. There's a layer. So this is the vagina. Okay. So sorry, up here, this is like the vagina as a tube. Mm -hmm. Okay. This is the, the layer that you, that I will see as soon as I put a speculum or anyone looks inside your vagina, it, you see this layer. This is called your mucosal layer. Okay. In this layer, this is actually 28 cells thick. Sorry for the beeping. This is actually 28 cells thick and it actually sheds every four days. Four days? Yeah. So all of these cells will kind of slough off. Ladies, that's why you have discharge, okay? Because that's we need to discharge? get some of these dead cells. Well, that's not all the reason that there's yeah. discharge, but that is part of the discharge is these cells need to be replenished and slough off. What's wow. also there is uh, glycogen. Glycogen is like a sugar that feeds bacteria, uh, feeds good bacteria. So you do want these cells to kind of get replenished. Mm -hmm. But there is actually then a muscle layer as well. So now I'm going to stop there and unshare this because that's all I really wanted to show you on this. But the reason that the muscle layer is important is that it's not really under your control. Just like your you know, gut system is not really under your control, your vagina has a muscle and that is just smooth muscle. That's not under your voluntary control. Though sometimes women can have spasms or have tightening or clenching of those muscles and you can learn to relax them, okay? Mm -hmm. Most of the time women don't pay attention necessarily to the muscles in their pelvis, but you can learn to relax the muscles around your vaginal uh, canal and learn to, mm. that's why women have pain with intercourse sometimes is those, mm. the tenseness of those muscles and but not necessarily with your vagina. Interesting. And so when we talk about, um, I know we've talked about women's like vaginas being very tight and needing a dilation. Is it the muscles that are too tight? Yeah. Oftentimes it's either, it's not the muscle. It's, it could be the whole vagina. Okay. Like the whole vagina may be too small. Mm -hmm. Yes. It's part of the muscle, right? Because mm -hmm. like anything else, if you exercise it, if you stretch it, it will dilate. Um, so yeah, yeah, it's all of that muscle complex that needs to be stretched. Got it. And I think that's so interesting. I did not know about like that, where the discharge comes from. I just have accepted it. I don't know what it was or what it is, but you're telling us it's this vaginal wall, like the mucus membrane kind of coming down every four days or so it's renewed. Right? Well, it's not just that. I mean, I don't want to paint the picture that your discharge is, that is only that, right? Mm -hmm. Discharge has a lot of components to it and there's good discharge and there's discharge that is, you know, not healthy discharge. Uh -huh. I think there is this, you know, that we can get into that whole story too. 
of, you know, women have gone into this idea somehow that discharge is not normal and that mm. discharge is bad or that discharge needs to be sanitized or cleaned away or deodorized in some way. So your body actually produces, get this, between one and three and up to even four mLs. So that's almost like a teaspoon mm -hmm. of discharge every day. That's normal. Wow. So some of that sloughing is what that is. Some mm -hmm. of that is what we call uh, transudate. So transudate is um, you have a lot of blood vessels that feed your vagina. I showed mm -hmm. you that histology slide for a reason, because there's a lot of, there's a muscle layer, then there's a whole bunch of blood vessels in the adventitial layer. Mm -hmm. So some of those can actually um, release fluid through the different components and out into the actual vaginal cavity. I'm making mm -hmm. it really simple, but that's basically the point of it. So some of the discharge is transudate. Some of it is just a natural sloughing. Some of it is just that the dead, you know, normal bacteria that mm -hmm. has to die because it just has, you know, runs out of a food supply or whatever it is. And so some of those are just bacterial cells that slough off. And some of it is secretions from the cervix, like the cervix has its own secretions. Mm. And there's a couple of other glands called Bartholin's glands you may have heard of, or Skeen's glands, and those also can contribute to the discharge. But discharge is normal, ladies. Mm -hmm. And it varies with your menstrual cycle. We can get into all of that, but it is normal to have discharge and it doesn't need to be cleaned or sanitized or deodorized or taken away. Yeah. And what about um, pH? So I recently learned that yeah. semen changes the pH of the vagina in order to live. And if you actually maintain the vaginal pH, semen can't live in it. And that's what Evofem's new non-hormonal birth control mechanism is, right? Um, can you tell me what part of the, this anatomy part has to do with the pH? Yeah, so the pH is, is really an amazing thing. The vagina definitely has its own pH. It's actually slightly acidic and it's supposed to be acidic. The reason that it needs to be acidic is that that's the environment that some of the good bacteria, you may have heard of the lactobacillus family. There's a lot of that family that is normally hosted in the vagina and that bacteria needs to live at around that pH. Mm -hmm. And Yes, semen is actually of a slightly higher pH. And not all women, I should say, have the exact same flora. Mm -hmm. So the exact same normal host of bacteria in their vaginas. There are, have been lots of studies that show that there's some women that have, and some, there's a lot of factors that influence what kind of bacteria you have in your mm -hmm. vagina. But there are certain subsets of women that have more lactobacillus species and more within that species, there's like, you know, in the, the lactobacillus just means like, that's your last name, Smith. And then under mm -hmm. Smith, there's like your uncle Smith, your uncle, your Tia, your whoever. Yeah. So there's more like maybe uncles and Tias, and then there's, you know, less cousins. But Got anyways, it. the point is, yes, your uh, vaginal pH is tightly regulated. And if you start messing with the pH by trying to cleanse it or douche it or do other things to it, um, you can actually encourage bad bacteria to grow mm -hmm. and make it so that, you know, the good bacteria doesn't thrive. Yeah. I've heard of, um, like, uh, pH, like supplements that women can insert if they're having sex where, with a partner that's coming inside them, you know, and that's affecting their pH. Cause I heard some women have, you know, prolonged effects of that change in pH and they get infections and stuff. And so do you know about these supplements that like, I guess they put in there and. 
it balances? Yeah, it's, it is definitely, there are a few things that women can do or do do that can affect the pH. One mm-hmm. of them is intercourse. Intercourse definitely can affect the pH mm-hmm. balance in your vagina. Most of the time it will go back to normal on its own if you don't do anything to it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, other things like smoking, other things like um, douching certainly will affect the pH. There's certain, you know, it's hard to say, are there certain types of foods that women eat that affect the pH? Historically and anecdotally, women have said that mm-hmm. uh, and do sometimes feel that if I eat a certain amount of something, I get more, you know, discharge or discomforts. It's hard to know if that's really proven in science, but there are definitely certain things that are known triggers to your pH. And one of them definitely is intercourse. And one of them definitely is douching. And one of them definitely is smoking. Wow. Well, I want to get into the hymen, but I have one last question about the anatomy. Um, yeah. How far up do penises go? <laughs> do they go well, all the way up in the uterus? Do they hit, do they get blocked at the cervix? Like what? Cause I know there is uh, you know, women that talk about uncomfortable sex and there's that startup called donuts, which is like a little bit of, it's like a little bumper that you can put like a cock ring essentially that doesn't let your partner go as far inside for more comfortable sex. So Can you tell me what is happening there? So, I mean, every partner and the partner is a couple, right? So, I mean, the partner's penis and the other and the woman's vagina. Yeah. There may be a mismatch in terms of size, right? Mm -hmm. Or comfort level. Mm -hmm. Depends on how long the person's penis is when it's erect, right? To know how far it's going to be able to be inserted and, and, uh, you know, go into the vagina. Uh-huh. Certainly it can't go further than the cervix. The okay. cervix is where so basically where all things end, that, right? Okay. Like, yeah, can't go further than that. Mm. Um, certainly for some women, even getting close to the cervix is uncomfortable. Uh-huh. Um, for some women, that's actually uh, an orgasmic experience that they actually wanted. Oh, okay. So it really depends on the woman and each woman is going to be different in terms of what feels good to them. All right. Um, you know, I've definitely, um, had to repair a lot of, unfortunately, a lot of young women's vaginas that have had tears that go, you know, meet the cervix because the penis was just too, too, you know, aggressive or went too far in that area. And, you know, for whatever reason, they, you know, had a tear in that area. Yeah. All right. Well, this helps me because there, I have had sometimes partners where it was painful sex and in my mind I thought they were hitting like the back of my uterus like the top Mm. of it so no that's not what's happening it's the it's the cervix is that why you can have sex when you're pregnant yeah oh my gosh actually and it's it's um the other thing when sometimes when we're encouraging women who are trying to get into labor, like let's say they're, you know, getting past their due uh-huh. date, we have to encourage them to have sex because Ooh. it can actually. Yeah. Like yeah. knocking on the door. You're like, Hey baby. <laughs> right. It's very stimulating to yes. the entire. Oh man. I seriously, again, I knew I was going to be the student. I'm learning so much. Um, All right, let's go hymen. Yeah. Cause I really want to like address this issue. Uh, because... please, what is a hymen? Where is it? Okay. So I'm going to go back and share my, my screen really quickly here, because it's really important. We got a lot of questions about hymens and there was a lot of confusion about hymens and what does it mean? Mm -hmm. So if you see for all of y'all who are watching, if you see my pointer, 
it's the hymen is actually this little ridge of tissue, this right here. So you see the vagina is open here, right? Mm -hmm. And then there's a ridge of tissue that's right here. Circling the vaginal opening. Circling the opening, right? Okay. It's like kind of the crown around the, around the vaginal opening. Yeah. That's the hymen. That's the hymen. That's the hymen. So why is that important? So there's a lot of notion. So first of all, your vagina, when you're, is, is you're born with your vagina open. Yeah. Okay? There isn't some membranous covering or something that when you're born or before you have your first intercourse that is ruptured or broken. There's no cherry that pops. There's no like that, that hymen is open and patent when you're born. Okay. So of course there are the rare exceptions, right? So there's, you know, up to so it's 0.05 to like, let's just call it less than 1% mm -hmm. of the population that actually does have a little membranous covering that's there. And that's called an imperforate hymen. And that's something that we have to surgically correct. Okay. But your hymen is, and your vagina is open. It's an open tube, uh, meaning that there's no covering to mm -hmm. it. It's not like a, something that you have to remove there. Mm -hmm. So I know there's been a lot of questions about, well, um, you know, did he can you tell if my daughter has had intercourse or I don't want to put anything into her vagina or I don't want her to put anything or I don't want to put anything into my vagina like a tampon or a speculum because it may disrupt my virginity or it may disrupt yeah. my hymen. But the hymen won't be disrupted by those things. The It's open. There's wow. nothing that can be like... Um, popped or, or hurt or anything by a tampon or anything else. Wow. Um, yeah. And so why do, why is there blood a lot of times when a woman does have sex for the first time? So there can be little micro, it's not to say that the, the hymen can't be stretched. And sometimes in that stretching, there's like a little bit of um, maybe a nick or something. Uh -huh. And also there may be a little bit of micro tearing that actually can occur inside the vagina, not yeah. necessarily that the hymen itself is like ruptured. Open yeah, or yeah. It's kind of this false idea that there's something there that's like protecting the inside of your vagina until the last moment when you have sex for the first time. Wow. Because I definitely had this conception, I guess I've gotten rid of it recently, but I, I for a very long time thought there was like some inside my vagina, some like little membrane window thing that needed to be ruptured. Wow. So that does not exist. No, it doesn't. And, um, I think there's this, like, you know, for a lot of reasons, there's a lot of cultural, um, and emotional practices and understandings that, you know, inform what women feel comfortable with and not. Right. Yeah. And there's a lot of cultures that have, uh, you know, don't want things to be placed into the vagina, even if it's something like tampons, because it may imply something. But the notion that something is being disrupted, like uh -huh. a hymen, isn't actually anatomically correct. I feel like I've heard in, I mean, probably like cinema or shows of like, well, we're going to check her to make sure she's still a virgin. Okay. Like, what are they yeah. checking then if it's not even a thing that exists? So... Totally. And I get, we actually in our clinic, like in my clinic, I get a lot of parents that come and say, kid, can you check if she's, you know, been sexually active yeah. or whatever. 
Now, sometimes it's like we have to have a conversation about why, why altogether you and your daughter are not having a conversation. <laughs> about um, but sometimes it's because of a, of a concern for abuse, right? Uh-huh. Which I totally uh, understand. Um, and I was just reading recently, actually, at, uh, in, there's an OBGYN clinic, um, you know, in some states um, that actually do a, like a premarital check. On, yeah. On that's, I've heard of these things. Yeah. So what are they yeah, looking yeah. for? Well, you, they're looking at the hymen, but you can't actually tell anything. That's the thing, you yeah. know, like even in cases where we're concerned for abuse, mm-hmm. you know, it is, you can't, unfortunately, you know, or fortunately, depending on which side, you know, you line up on because people are, innocent until proven guilty really Mm. you can't tell anything just by looking at the hymen you really can't like you can you can give your opinion like well in this age group there shouldn't be like an obvious tear but even even if there's clefts and stuff in the hymens you don't know if that's not normal or it's been there before so you really can't tell anything from the hymen unfortunately how do these cultures that think there's literally like a garage door of the vagina how do they think about um period blood getting through that do they have like an explanation for how does blood get through i mean i think there's a lot of cultures that also um and we can talk about all of that you know who are that don't value or don't promote women who are having their periods necessarily. You know what I mean? That if you're having your period, you need to go somewhere and be cleansed and be, you know, and, and for whatever that reason is, um, I, I of course try and be completely understanding that my understanding of, of where they're coming from needs to be open-minded completely. And, but so I don't know, how they explain where period blood comes mm-hmm. to, you know, how does it get through this wall, mm-hmm. you know, that is supposed to be there or not supposed to be there, you know? Interesting. Well, you know, listeners, if you come from one of these cultures, we're just curious, right? We're curious about like yeah. how different people think about the vagina. Cause we're trying to innovate it and we can't innovate it and sell our products and services and improve women's health. If we don't know, how cultures are thinking about it. So it's purely a, it's not a judgment. It's a curiosity, right? Absolutely. I mean, you know, my background, I mean, I come from, uh, you know, uh, like an Arabic background. So I totally understand that. And I understand, you know, that when we get those questions in clinic, it's about ask, it's about listening first and then asking really good questions and about reading and trying to understand Mm -hmm. where people are coming from with their own, you know, uh, the, the, the emotions that they bring to their questions are Mm -hmm. important emotions, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Can you tell me, speaking of like emotions, right? Like, so this whole concept of virginity, that's a societal word, right? Is there like a, a medical term for pre ever having intercourse? Um, I mean, coitus, is there, I'm not sure I'm understanding. uh, Like, would a doctor ever say like, and this patient is a virgin, right? Like how would a doctor describe a, a pre-intercourse patient? Cause I just I mean, don't know if virgin is like a, a American word we've just made up, you know, to describe it. I mean, it's, there's a lot of connotations to, to that. And I get asked in, in clinic about that sometimes when young ladies are not having vaginal intercourse, but they may be having Uh penetration in, you know, either having anal intercourse and not vaginal, like, Mm -hmm. am I still a virgin? 
Um, so I think there's a lot of connotations to that word, right? And I mean, we describe coitus as that act, but really like, you know, we don't necessarily go around saying, well, she's virginal or she's not. Yeah, yeah. I answer that question. And I think if you lined up, you know, 10 gynecologists, maybe you'd get a different answer. But when I have a patient and, you know, she was so embarrassed to ask me this question and she would, she asked me, she was like, well, am I, I'm, I'm only having anal sex and am I still a virgin? And I said, you know, that's really, my job is to protect you and in, and to care for you in the best way that I can. And you can still get infections from having anal intercourse, mm-hmm. right? You can still have HIV. You can still have infections for of other STIs mm-hmm. in just having anal intercourse. And so from my opinion, I need to test you. Um, even if you're only having anal intercourse and, you know, and not having vaginal intercourse. So whether or not you consider that to be virginal or not, we can have a whole conversation about that. But mm-hmm as somebody who cares for you, then I need to be able to test you regardless of which hole it's going in. Yeah. Do you think this concept of taking a woman's virginity, because you don't take men's virginity usually, right? It's a woman that's, you know, she's giving it away or the man took it. And is that having, you think that that's paired up with this idea of a, a hymen being broken and like, that's why it's being taken? I I'm imagining that that could be where it comes from. Um, it's a hard question to answer, you know? It's like, a big question. I think it's societal. It's a lot of culture. It's probably anthropology type of, it's a whole different diverse spectrum of things. Well, I mean, you could really like, you know, it depends how deep you want to get into it, right? Mm-hmm. There's a whole, and I think it also comes back to this whole idea about being unclean and right. There's a whole patriarchal messaging of like women's bodies are to be, you know, cleansed or douched or removed of sense or whatever yes. else. And some of that messaging is also, you know, potentially related to that, that it's something to be taken, something yeah. to be whatever, yeah. you know, and it's just about changing the languaging really. Yes, absolutely. Well, so the human is something that is open ladies. Okay. So that's, I think one of the main things that I wanted to talk about and make sure that, you know, if you use a tampon, you're not going to disrupt some, you know, major part of your anatomy. My gosh. I'm going to talk about hymens a lot now. I feel like I've, I know now. Uh, (laughs) So the third big section of things we wanted to talk about was vaginal rejuvenation. What is vaginal rejuvenation? Yeah, we've been hearing a lot about it. And I just, I wanted to kind of touch on it because I think it's a really important topic and it comes back to, it's a perfect segue to what we were just talking about, right? The search for the perfect vagina, right? Mm -hmm. What is why do we have to have this notion of like, is there, is there perfection in the, in the vulva or the vagina? So I want like, even though we, so what is vaginal rejuvenation? Okay. There's a couple of concepts that all get mixed up into one thing. And so you could, you can either talk about it from a surgical standpoint, and there's a couple of surgeries that we've already alluded to, right. Reducing the lips of the vagina, right. Where you were saying that some women have longer, actually wider there. It's not the length, it's the width wider labia minora. And I'll explain to you why, when we go back to the diagram and there's some, uh, surgical procedures like tightening the vagina Mm -hmm. that actually do have a basis in, you know, that are actual surgical procedures that are done. Okay. We can talk about why those two things may or may not be appropriate. 
Um, but then there's a whole other like lump of stuff that's all coming with this aggressive marketing right now in terms of vaginal rejuvenation. Mm -hmm. So some of it involves two different things. One, women who are menopausal, mm -hmm. right? So women who are menopausal make less estrogen and they tend to have a certain constellation of symptoms that they feel in their vaginas, mainly related to, you know, lack of lubrication, burning sensation, because remember that top really, that top layer that sloughs off yeah. every four days. So that gets really, really thin when you don't oh. have a lot of estrogen, really it's really noticeable. And that's why menopausal women have really thinned vaginal tracts. Same reason that prepubital girls do too, because they don't have a lot of estrogen, but that comes with a lot of, can be a lot of pain with intercourse. Oh can be like There's not a lot of lubrication. It's, it can be really uncomfortable. Yeah. You know, no menopause days coming up. Ladies, we hear you. It's uncomfortable mm -hmm. to have really thinned vaginal tracts due to lack of estrogen. Mm -hmm. So so this concept of vaginal rejuvenation, what these, what women are experiencing when we talk about like atrophy, right? Like atrophy of their vaginal cavities, lack of lubrication, urinary incontinence, all of that comes with lack of estrogen. Um, there, there's a certain groups of companies that are out there that are saying, well, if you put this laser in your vagina and or ozone gas or whatever it is that they're advocating for that you can actually kind of reverse some of those symptoms mm -hmm. you can actually make the vagina have more collagen more elastin so make it a little like tighter stronger plumper um that that muscle component yeah. right so that's part of this whole concept of rejuvenation. So not only for the women who are sort of suffering with atrophy, but also for women who want to have a more pleasurable sexual experience, mm -hmm. right? Um, that may be having some laxity of their vaginal cavities, mm -hmm. who want to have things tighter because for whatever reason, they think that is going to have a impact either to them or to their partners. Mm -hmm. So those are the two concepts with vaginal kind of rejuvenation. And then the steaming can comes into that later on with regards to um, cleansing the vagina of discharge or whatever else. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What, where does it um, fall into like vaginal rejuvenation for the medical sense? And then when is it vaginal rejuvenation in the like aesthetics and, you know, what culture wants you to have, right? Because I can also imagine... Uh, um, you know, trans woman who's had, you know, bottom surgery may need these types of procedures to get things in the way, you know, functional. Um, but where does it, where does it fall when it's actually medically needed versus not? So we can go back to the, the, the labioplasty, right? Mm -hmm. So dealing with the lips of the vagina. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to share this again here so that we can really see what we're talking about. So this is a, this is, don't forget, we're talking about what's a perfect vagina. And guess what? There isn't one, ladies. There mm -hmm. is not a perfect vagina. This is a cartoon. So, of mm -hmm. course, it looks perfect, right? Of course, it looks symmetrical. This is not what everyone's vagina looks like. This is, you know, a representation. Yeah. So, not everybody's labia on the inside, the small lips, right? Those are the parts that may hang down, uh -huh. right? Uh -huh. Some ladies feel uncomfortable about. In this picture, they look very symmetrical and like, you know, 
perfect, yeah. right? But that's not really always what they look like. Mm-hmm. There are some one side that is usually longer than the other side. Mm. So when women are talking about like, okay, what were, or your question, right? What's the medical, where does vaginal rejuvenation come in from a medical standpoint? Mm-hmm. Okay. There are some women that have abnormally long, sorry, wide labia. So it's, it looks like the labia hangs down, but what we actually measure, if you can see my uh, pointer mm-hmm. is actually this width right here. Mm. So I, we actually get out measuring tapes in clinic. If somebody is coming in at, and saying, I have concerns about my labia and I want to talk about surgery, we actually measure the width of the labia uh-huh. and there are certain criteria. So yes, women, according to the you know guidelines that there are right now from the gynecologic society, and I'll put an asterisk there. If you look at the plastic surgery societies, those guidelines are different. So if you go Whoa. to a plastic surgeon, you may be more willing to do surgery because their guidelines are different. Whoa, okay. So for us, it's if this is greater, if this width is greater than five centimeters, or there's a discrepancy between the two sides of any textbook that you read is going to tell you a little different, but it's between two and three centimeters different between the two sides. And you can think about five centimeters, like what's five centimeters hanging down, you know, yes, that could be uncomfortable for some women, but you also have to think through, um, are you willing to go through surgery of an part of your body that is sexually responsive, right? We talked about how close it is to the, to the clitoral body mm-hmm. and how the labia minora actually do become engorged, right? With sexual activity, they do have nerve endings. So cutting part of the labia off, you know, may have really significant impacts later on that yeah. for kids, you know, it's a really hard conversation for a lot of parents and their children, but there's not a lot of physicians, unless there's a really clear indication in a child that will do kind of this kind of, you know, labioplasty. Yeah. I like that you brought up that they, they do swell during arousal and that there are nerve endings and it's not just random pieces of skin. Like they're actually active in the whole thing. Yeah. They're totally active in the whole thing. Yeah. Um, but that is one of the like actual medical, you know, surgical surgeries that we do do for Mm -hmm. women there are Mm -hmm. women that do have abnormally long labia that Mm -hmm. are really uncomfortable and we have to you know be willing to also work with them right but I guess the message that I want to give is you know first of all again there's no perfect vagina right say it again I'll rewind it that's the hill I'll die on there's no perfect vagina list ladies so (laughs) the other thing is stop looking Stop looking like, yeah. or stop comparing, like, keep looking, but stop comparing. Right. Stop like, comparing yeah. and stop, but it's also like, look and be, have this self compact. Like it's also a compassion thing, right? It's also a self-love thing. It, yeah. And it's also like parents looking at their child and saying, Oh my God, she has something abnormal. Mm. Um, that is a tough message for girls to yeah. hear. Yeah. You no, know, I, it's a lot of parents that have concerns about their child's anatomy, I would say if your child is not bothered by it, then, 
you know, maybe bring it up separately without them, you know, to, to, to their physician, but it, it's really a hard conversation for, I have girls that come to my clinic and they're like besides themselves thinking there's something abnormal with them. And oh I'm so gosh. scared. Like there's a part of my body that's abnormal. Most of the time it's like, they're normal. They're completely normal. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, we're running out of time, but I want to touch on vaginal steaming. What is yes. vaginal steaming? Can you can you unshare your screen? I do love to look at this vagina, this oh, vulva. Sorry. But... <laughs> <laughs> What's better than that? And I was like, <laughs> uh, okay, so yeah, vaginal steaming. Again, it's this whole concept, right? Of like, we need to cleanse something. We need to do something. We need mm -hmm. to like take something away. So, vaginal steaming was made really popular um, you know, by a bunch of celebrities. Again, it's like a big marketing machine coming at us. Right. So essentially, basically vaginal steaming, the concept behind it is either to remove discharge, right? Because apparently we're not supposed to have discharge okay. We're, you know, to remove odors. Um, ladies, the vagina smells like a vagina and it's okay <laughs> that it smells like a vagina. It's not a pina colada. It is not a fruit. It is not. <laughs> it's not Febreze. Febrezing. <laughs> like it, 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 it does just like smell like a vagina. So vaginal steaming is to like get rid of discharge, get rid of odors. Mm -hmm. um, it's purported to have, you know, all kinds of other whatever benefits, like I'm going to reduce my headaches and like cleanse my uterus. So again, mm -hmm. remember, we now you're experts in anatomy. You know why that is not possible, right? So basically what, what you do is you sit on this like throne basically, okay? And there's hot steam that comes up to your vulva. Hits all the lips. You're sitting okay. on it without pants. You're that sitting underwear. on pants yeah. and underwear. Mm -hmm. And then there's steam coming up, right? Mm -hmm. Apparently that steam is some somehow supposed to have enough force that it goes right through your cervix and into your uterus to like cleanse your uterus. Through that your flat vagina because it's flat. It's flat. And then also through and a closed door cervix. Yeah. Closed door cervix. Guys, we have to dilate that thing up to get an IUD in. Like, there's no way steam <laughs> gets in there. It okay. just, it doesn't make sense. Okay. So, so, and then whatever potpourri of herbs that you're, is going to be in that steaming hot water, mm -hmm. like plus or minus herbs. Like I have absolutely no problem with herbs, but you know, I tried to really keep an open mind. So if there's an herbalist out there, I'd love to know, like, you know, mugwort, Basically, as far as I could tell, was an allergen. It was like close to the ragweed family. Yeah. yeah. So the, there are, I, as as I was reading more about it and trying to understand about it, sure, there are some concepts that make sense, mm -hmm. right? So yes, I'm sure the steam or the heat, let's not call it the steam. I'm sure the heat could um, help your pelvic muscles relax. Yeah. That I totally buy. Mm -hmm. If you have cramps you know, because you're having your period, heat definitely helps. Um, you know, that's why women labor in a jacuzzi in their early labor, because uh, warm water relaxes the muscles. Relax. Yeah. You don't need to have steam. Like you could easily just get into a bath, probably cost yeah. a lot less. Put yeah. some herbs in there, you know? So, you know, get a heating pad there. I think it's a lot of marketing of like mm. the steaming is like supposed to be so amazing, but Really, the concepts are discharge is normal. The odor is there. It doesn't need Lysol. 
It doesn't mean lemon, you know, wasp nests. It doesn't mean anything else to be up there yeah. because it does a lot of other things that you don't want to happen. Um, and, you know, if you have cramps and you have pelvic floor that needs to be relaxed, there's probably cheaper ways to get the same outcome mm -hmm. by just doing things like getting into a bath or using heating pad. Wow. So you don't need to steam. You really don't. It's not broccoli. Your not broccoli. vagina's it's not broccoli. Yeah, it's just not broccoli. It doesn't mean <laughs> it's not a carpet. It doesn't need steam cleaning. Yes. It needs oh to be left gosh. alone. It just needs to be left alone. Julie. Like you need to remind yourself in your head, like my vagina is going to take care of itself if I just let it let it be. Just let like it be. an eyeball. That's what you taught me. You said if unless something's stuck in your eye, leave it alone. Your eye is self cleaning. Yeah. There's really not too many things. So I'm, I want to leave you with like top four things not to do. Perfect. To Tell vagina. us. Okay. Number one, don't steam. Right. We talked about it. It's not a carpet. Don't steam it. Number two, don't DIY it. Okay. So we're all in this DIY, you know, COVID, like, let me improve everything. Honestly, it doesn't need you to DIY the tightening, the tea tree oil up there is not a good astringent. Does not, does it need to be tightened that way? Wasp nests. You know, it's don't, don't, don't buy it. Don't, don't DIY your vagina, please. Number three, don't put anything up there. That's not supposed to be up there. Okay. Menstrual cups, tampons, penises, fingers, lube. I can count it on one hand. What needs toys? To be like toys. Okay. Fine. Okay. Yeah. Toy. Okay. Like you made me that. nervous, Julie. I was like, no, Hey, no, no, no. <laughs> I just got my lioness. <laughs> I'm all about toys. That's fine. But what I'm saying is potato, you know, don't, again, don't DIY it. Don't put things up there that you mm. think is going to help with the potpourri. Okay. Like other things don't need to be up there. Um, and then, you know, finally the douching story, right? Again, nothing needs to be cleansed. There's no perfect vagina. Yours is beautiful. There's no perfect smell. Okay. It's going to smell ladies. It smells like a vagina. Okay. And discharge is normal. It really, really, really is normal. It's okay. Julie, I... I love myself so much more having learned all these things about my body. Thank you so much. I'm so grateful to have you on our team, an internal expert about vaginas. And I know our listeners learned stuff today. I hope so. I Definitely. mean, we can talk at length more, but, but you know, vaginas 201, we can 201. talk about but listen, your vagina is a beautiful part of you. Your vulva is a beautiful part of you. So ladies, just, okay. Thank you for listening to our bonus episode with Dr. Julie Hakeem. I want to know what you learned about the women's reproductive system. Join our virtual community uh, through our website or message us on social at Femtech Focus and let me know what you learned. I learned that there wasn't actually a cherry that gets popped. I learned where the cervix is actually located. I know you're like, Britt, you're the host. Don't you know these things? I, I honestly, I don't know what I thought before, before this lesson with Julie. So I am so grateful. Let us know what you learned. Don't be ashamed. The host of this podcast learned stuff. So obviously we need more female education all around. And that's, uh, you know, the purpose of what we're doing here. And in fact, if you love what we are doing at Femtech Focus, we are a nonprofit organization and you can contribute to us uh, and support 
us elevating the femtech industry. You can do that through the donate tab on our website, femtechfocus.org. Thank you so much for supporting the show. Until next time, keep innovating because improving women's health and wellness improves everyone's health and wellness.